0: Hayden Co PR acknowledges the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on. The Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. <laughs> welcome to the press office with Kaden and Co-PR, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the australian media landscape and public relations industry i'm your host marissa jane and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations are an aspiring journalist or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media then this is the podcast for you Hello and welcome back to the Press Office with Caden Co. PR. Now, this episode comes at the perfect time because we have just wrapped up Melbourne Fashion Week and all we can think about is clothing, styling and everything in between. Today I get to chat to one of Melbourne's top styling exports, Lana Wilkinson. Lana has styled everyone on the Australian A-list from Rebecca Judd to Megan Gale to Ruby Rose and now she even has her own shoe label. This episode is perfect for anyone within the fashion industry whether it's in styling, retail or PR. Now enough from me let's get on to the interview. Hello, Lana, and welcome to the press office with Kate & Co. PR. I, like many, have been such an avid follower of your styling journey, so it's great to sit down and have a chat today.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Marissa. It's so great to be here. And, you know, Kate & Co. uh, has been a PR agency that supported me right from the beginning. So, It feels like a bit of a full circle moment uh, being on your podcast today. So thanks so much for having me.
0: And you really don't need any introduction, especially in the world of fashion PR. But I would love for you to do the honours of introducing yourself, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Oh, that's that's
1: very kind to suggest I wouldn't need an intro. I'll roll with that. <laughs> so uh, my name is Lana Wilkinson. Um, I'm a shoe designer, uh, founder of Lana Wilkinson Shoes and the brand, and I'm a, a fashion and celebrity stylist. I'm also uh, a mum to two girls, Ava and Elle. I've been in the industry oh gosh I think it's like probably over a decade it is over a decade it's like I think I'm into my 11th or 12th year of being a stylist um and before that, I was sort of in um, marketing and PRs. So I feel like all of those things go hand in hand, but um, I love fashion. I love making people feel good. And, you know, I think fashion is a way that gives you, the you know, the opportunity to uh, show who you are, which I think is really beautiful, particularly after the last couple of years. So um, I'm very, very excited that we are now in a place where we're getting dressed up and excited that events are back and that everybody's coming together. So it's really an exciting time and I am just feel really grateful to be a part of it.
0: Let's dive into your fashion styling career first. Did you always want to be a stylist and why did you decide to go down this pathway?
1: Do you know, if I, I've been asked that before and it, it, the answer is yes. You know, I think sometimes when you have career changes or opportunities, you sometimes question yourself. Uh, for me, I love fashion from a really young age. Like I was the girl that when my mum had dresses in her closet you know when your parents are like bridesmaids for people and they keep the dresses I was one who would play dress-ups in them and like then pretend I was a designer and cut them much to her joy uh and and roll around at home with them I was always the costume girl so I always loved dressing up I think uh you know straight out of uni I uh was studying PR uh public relations at RMIT in at in Melbourne and I think I think there was a part of me that always wanted to get into fashion. I always thought, oh, I can't really see myself being a designer and, you know, I, I always loved writing and I loved, you know, networking and building relationships with people. So I thought PR was, it was a good way to do that, So, which is ironic that we're sitting here talking. <laughs> and then uh, I'd, I'd worked in uh, sort of really big corporate brands for a long time. So straight out of university, uh, I was at uh, Foxtel. Um, and I was on reception there like first week out of uni and I remember wanting to be in the green room dressing the talent that were on the shows versus doing all the hard yards and marketing so I, I didn't make that decision straight away and then went on to Westfield where the juices for styling were very much in full force and I got to work with incredible creatives uh, like Michelle Jank and Kevin Murphy when I was in marketing there and working in the fashion side of things. So we would do all of the spring, summer and the winter campaigns. And I just knew that that was my calling. But then obviously life happens and I'd met my husband, Liam, and we were getting married. And then I just wanted a new challenge and I ended up going way off the grid and went into a corporate role at Stockland, which is house and lands and property. So completely different but had I not done that my little side hustle of being a stylist on the weekends and out of hours would never have happened because I think that was the way I could still be creative and start this I guess joy and the reason that that happened was and it's funny how sometimes opportunities knock your way. I had a friend of mine who was on a reality show and back then reality tv was still in its infancy so I'm talking about sort of 10 years ago and she asked me to dress her because I was on Facebook putting all my outfits up and everyone would always go where are your outfits from so between my relationships at Westfield with designers and then my own sort of sense of style I sort of started to go oh, maybe there's something in this maybe I can do this and so one thing led to another and then I started dressing her ongoing for a whole bunch of things and then from that I was getting more people and then Instagram was sort of starting out and I started sharing things and then I did that sort of freelance sort of activity where I was working full-time And it wasn't even 9 to 5, it was like 8.30 till 9 o'clock at night because that was just how I rolled then and even now. And then cut a long story short, it ended up occurring that um, I was doing so much out of hours and it's like everything, right? You want to make sure that you're doing the right thing by your employer and it got to a point where I couldn't even hide from my employer what I was doing because I was doing sort of commentary for the Herald Sun and the Daily Telegraph and then they just came to this point and it was actually pregnant with my first daughter, Ava, who's 8 uh, so that's taking a while back now where I went, you know what, I really need to take the leap now. I really need to do this on my own and back myself in and do this as a career because also I was working so much where I'd do my full-time job making sure that I was working really hard. Then on the weekends I was doing photo shoots, I was dressing talent. In between there was Brownlow medals, there was all this sort of thing. So there just became a point where it wasn't sustainable anymore to continue to lead this double life, if you will, And then I just decided that it was time. So I guess I've never looked back after that moment. So that was probably about, oh, gosh maybe 2013 or 2014. It
0: was a while ago. It's such an incredible career story, though, that you were kind of dabbling in styling for so long in your career until it became your full-time job. And I think that's actually quite important to touch on because so many people have this dream career that might not seem attainable, but there's ways that you can work towards that goal while still having a full-time job as well?
1: Absolutely. Do you know, I remember, and and maybe this is something for people that are listening, that are looking to change. I, you know, and I wasn't, I was sort of a project marketing manager when I was in Stockland. So it was a three-figure salary, um, not to sort of sound, but, you know, just to kind of let you know that it was such a risk for me at that time. Um, You know, I was about to have my first child. We had a mortgage and, I've, you know, hats off to my husband, Liam, who had me every step of the way, because there were people that I was saying, I'm going to be a stylist, And people would go, but why? Can you make money doing that? Are you sure? I know you love it and you're really good at it. But And then there was on the flip side, I had other people going, what are you still doing? So much so that even my corporate boss, um, Stephanie McKenzie um, at Stockland said to me, when are you doing this? When are you just going to go? When are you going to have your back and just do this? Like you need to go and do this. And I think like everybody, it's that safety blanket, Right. And sometimes the noise gets in, like, can I do this? And then I think I kind of just made this decision that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to try and be the best at it. And whether I've hit that mark, I don't know because, you know, everything's subject to, you know, what's deemed as successful and the best. For me, it's like I feel like even at this point in my career, I've only hit like a certain level of what I know I can achieve and what I can do. But for me, and I'm sure there's lots of other people like that, that when you say I can't do something, well you better ask. I'm gonna work my, my tail off to show you I'm gonna I'm not only gonna do it, I'm gonna smash it. And I think for me it gave me more motivation to to do well and to drive harder at what I was doing. And it was hard. Like I, you know, I remember even having Ava, and four weeks later I was working on spring racing, you know. But the drive and the motivation was there. And I think when you genuinely love something, it's not work, you know. Um, so I think that was the other thing. I just knew you know, I felt so fulfilled um, in ways that that other jobs had never fulfilled me, even though there were points where I was definitely getting paid a lot more. But I think there's that that idea, right, that that finance doesn't necessarily drive happiness. And for me, that was certainly the case when I started out. I was, it was hard, but I loved it. And I just knew I had to explore that side of me. And, you know, I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad I did not listen to everybody who were like, can you make money out of that? I was like, I'll show you. So, I think that's the thing is you've got to back yourself in. I never thought in a million years that a hobby of mine and a passion would turn into something that has ultimately changed my life.
0: Even just hearing you speak about it, like it makes you so happy. I can see your facial expressions. I know this is a podcast so the listeners can't, but I think it is so important to find what you love. But going on that, I know for a fact that styling is not as glamorous as it seems to be. I'm nodding. I'm nodding. <laughs> what do you think are some major misconceptions about your job? I think the main thing is
1: that it's really glamorous and it's not, you know, and I think that's the hard thing and which which I love the grit of things, right? Like, So for me, the drive of that, like a lot of it, is very much about networking, relationships and it's the hard yards, like you're on the tools. Like I think a lot of people think you're just visiting showrooms and just pulling all the best things, whereas it's definitely not like that at all. Um, A lot of it, particularly when you're starting out, is about building relationships. It's about, you know, particularly with public relations agencies like yourselves, you know, as I mentioned earlier that Kate & Co was a really big supporter of mine when I was starting out for, for which... I'll be um, incredibly grateful to have had that trust because you do need to build relationships with PR agencies and the people that you know take carriage of of the brands that you want to work with. Um, you then need to take custody of those of those items. You know, like you're responsible for them. So I think a lot of people think, "Oh, you just get to play with things." Not at all. It's it's a lot of running around. It's a lot of um, back and forth. It's a lot of Um, you know, there's a lot of expenses that are involved in it. And they're the things I think, you know, when people are employing a stylist, they're not across. And they're the things I feel like as someone who's been doing this a really long time to kind of be, I guess, I'm not trying to be a spokesperson for my colleagues, but I feel like I have an opportunity when I have been doing this for so long to make sure that people put a a proper value on what a stylist does. Like on any job, you are working two or three days either side so whether that be pulling product sourcing researching um, collecting the product then editing the product putting it together then having fittings or if you're on a job making sure that you're creating a pre-production document for your employer so that they can see what you're going to bring on the day if, if that's the process of the job and then after you do that it's getting the items back getting them dry cleaned making sure that they're going back the way you pulled them so the the brand wants to work with you again and then now and or it's been that way for quite some time is all the content that goes with it making sure that you're capturing all of the behind the scenes and all of the um, visuals so that the brand can then use that for their own marketing purposes like there are a lot of there's a lot of responsibility that goes into it and you know you you kind of have to lead that project you know there isn't a talent that I've worked with or A brand that i've been engaged to work for where i haven't also been the person to provide the overall creative direction and the brief of of hair and makeup and pulling it all together so you really have to kind of have all your fingers in a lot of pies and you need to be able to do that in a way that enables you to network and look after everybody's needs and i think they're the things that for me creatively fill me up um but if that's not your jam styling probably not for you you know but I think they're the things that that make you like I guess excel at your job so I think I think a lot of the times those things get forgotten when people are employing a stylist I think they just think oh you can just go and get a dress for me can't you it's like no it doesn't work that way you know and I think I've got a responsibility to the brands that I work with like even as early as this week oh hey Lana I just need this for this day can you just get that for me it's like oh it sort of doesn't work like that like I think a lot of time people think that ongoing there's just this plethora of items and there is a lot of the time like particularly as we go into this busy se- season as we know it right now where there's lots of events there are a lot of um, garments that are that are at my disposal but you can't just go out handing clothes to people you know you, you know you can't just go oh well this person's wrong me, I'm going to go give them that Tony Maticheski dress. Brands have approvals of who can wear what. So I think you're also managing those relationships and it's exciting and it's great, but there is a lot of work that goes into it that I think a lot of people don't understand.
0: Definitely. I totally agree with that. And now looking at more, a positive spin of your career, you have had some incredible moments from dressing A-listers to styling some amazing campaigns Are there any career highlights that come top of mind?
1: Oh, there's so many. I, I, you know, I've been so lucky and that's the thing when I talk about styling, being able to fill my cup and, you know, be able to bring the greatest things I've ever wanted uh, to life, you know. Uh, For me, obviously a career highlight of mine personally that came out of styling people for so many years was my shoe brand Lana Wilkinson. I identified a gap um in the market, you know, there was a period there where I was spending so much money on shoes for talent because they just wasn't the right thing. I think I think one year I tallied up it was about $8,000, which sounds ludicrous, but with the volume of talent I was doing at that time, you're talking producing like 80 looks in total from like August to December that you're going to need shoes. Um, so, so for that to have come out of this, um, and then be able to still style and do those things was such a highlight for me. As far as from clients, I mean, again, I've had the great privilege of working with some of, you know, iconic Australians as well as internationals as well. I mean, for me personally, um, you know, one of the things that when we talk about why I want to become a stylist, there was a show on the air, it was on Bravo called the Rachel Zoe Project. And I just watch that going, oh, my God, that's what I've got to do. I have to do this. I feel connected to this. It's funny, I watch that back now and I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly how it is. (laughs) You didn't realise when you were watching it, you know. When you're racing around, it's like heart-stopping. Is this item going to arrive because I promised it to the client? It's exactly like that. But then I remember getting a phone call from um, a PR agency in Melbourne because uh, they were bringing Rachel Zoe out. For chadston and said, "Would I be the key contact contact on the ground as a stylist for her?" And for her, for that, for me, I, she was my hero. Like, and I remember it's probably the only time where I've ever actually been super nervous to work with someone. Like, I was almost shaking opening the door at Crown, and we'd been there the night before setting up in her room till about two a.m. And I remember just making it was so much stuff. Like, and every luxury brand, every major Australian designer was in this room, and it was you know and I remember just thinking please be good like you know when you have that moment where you think don't ruin it for me I hope you're an amazing person and she truly was I remember walking in and she went well I'd seen the room but I've been doing this for 20 years I don't want to like overstep you just you just show me what you're thinking and I'll try it on okay and I was like Oh, oh my God. Okay. So, you know, and I remember we I worked very closely with her team and I went a bit rogue on a couple of things where I was like, I'm just going to grab this just in case. And funnily enough, the first look that she put on was something I'd, I'd sort of pulled off like out of the blue from Zimmerman and she went head to toe and it was amazing. And, you know, she was so generous. She was generous when we sat down afterwards and just shared her knowledge. And for me, that I remember just walking out of there and after that week of working with her going, if I never style anyone again, my cup is full. And, you know, they're the things that this um, job has been, is afforded me to have those experiences. You know, there's not a dollar value I could have put on getting that advice from arguably the person who started people styling in the first place and being so open about it. The stylist was very much a behind the scenes role and she gave it, sort of made it front and centre. And so to have that experience with her was brilliant. And then when I think about just moments in time, you know, I was trying to think of, um, because I I figured I was going to get asked this question. And for me, I think the answer I wanted to give was I feel so, so lucky to um, have been almost entrusted by some of the most amazing people. And, you know, just, I I won't sound, it's going to sound like the biggest name drop ever, but, you know, people like Megan Gales, Zoe Foster Blake, you know, Elise Knoll, some of the best moments I had in my career when we were both kind of on the rise together and, yeah, I'll be forever grateful, uh, for those opportunities. Um, Rebecca Judd, I mean, I could, yeah, I could keep going, but there's, you know, I've, I've, I've had great fortune. And, you know, I think they're the things that when I talk about styling, really being able to change you is it changed my life, you know? And I think, you know, to have the privilege to be up close and personal with people that are admired, but to also be entrusted to bring their vision and brand together. Cause I look at, Everybody I work with as it's a, it's a collaboration. You know how do we bring out the best of what you love about yourself, and how do we get clothes and fashion to speak to that? And you know, so to be asked by anybody, no matter if you're well known, you're not, it really doesn't matter because it's the same reason when I do big red carpet events in Australia. You know, even recently, someone said, "Oh, you know, with your brand now, you know, are you going to still do like the Brownlow Medal?" And for me, it's like the Brownlow Medal is something that. That got me noticed you know in the first place so to still be having those iconic moments and 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 share that with you know the people that have helped put me here um that for me is the greatest reward ever and you know i think after the last couple of years to work with you know some major major australian designers like paula sebastian or couple arts or a few few others that i've had the good fortune of doing things with on a red carpet um And showcase what they do because i think people forget that with social media now overseas uh stylists see those things and then they 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 request them for their clients and i think that's the impact that social media can have now we can put this on a world scale you know i've had gowns that i've worked on for red carpet events in australia be called up and they're on the carpet at the met gala like things like that that you've sort of had creative involvement in it just fulfills you more than I can ever say so I'm just really lucky that I get to do what I do and and I love it.
0: There are some really epic career moments in there and of course you mentioned your shoe label which you launched in 2019 what was the process like actually creating a label from scratch and how did it differ from pulling together a look?
1: Well I think when we talk about pulling together a oh, look, the brands are, you know, already on offer to you. So whether it be that you go into a PR showroom and you're pulling product you can actually see, I think I think for me, I'm gonna say it right out the gate, I was so naive when I was starting the manufacturing process and production process, so much different to styling. And I thought I had it figured out. I'm like I want to have this many styles. I'm going to sample this. I think initially it was sort of just how to get started, right? Like I was like, oh, how hard can it be? And I, I was lucky that I had a lot of good relationships within, uh, you know, the industry that I could ask around. And um, I ended up being introduced to a major accessories buyer through a previous manager. And I remember just sitting down with her and she was like, I, you know, what do you want it what where do you want them to be made what fabric do you want all this sort of stuff and things I'd thought about you know like anything I think I knew it all I've got this I've been doing this for so long how how can this be anyway so then she was very um generous and you know listed a couple of manufacturers and then I met with them and, and settled on one and then went through the process and just sort of was like the design process which that bit I think came easy to me like I knew what I wanted I knew What gaps i saw in the market and i knew the price point i wanted i knew the quality that i wanted like i was like i don't want things where people were wanting to take them off after an hour like i need them to be comfortable what do i need to pay all that sort of stuff so that part of it and sampling was like oh this will be fine and then you realize sometimes the translation of what's in your head and then what comes out in the sample you're like oh i don't know about this one or on the flip side i'd seen so many that i liked and I was like, oh, okay, we'll just do this many. And they said, well, that'll be about 300,000. And I went, okay, we're going to need to pair that back. So when I talk about naivety, I just didn't realize. Like, and so I think for me, we were then able to pair it back. And I, I, um, as, as a starting point, obviously had my, uh, team, which includes Haley Roach, who started with me as an intern styling. And she's now the GM of Lana Wilkinson as a brand was, was right by my side during that process. And, I think initially I always thought, oh, I don't want to have an investor. I don't want to have a business partner. I need to be able to do this so that if I'm wrong and if I can't push this and if there isn't a gap, that if the ship goes down, it's only me that's going down and I'll take my husband, Liam, with me, <laughs> I sort of just sort of set it up from the back end. And I think straight away, I realized very quickly the things that I know knew that I need to be hands on about and the things that I needed help with. So for me, the creative space was something that I was great in, but the financials and the comings and goings, obviously the money and where it was coming from, I had control of that, but making sure I dispersed it in the right way. That's where Hayley was was brilliant. Um, And obviously having a good accountant always helps. Um, And then um, the process itself took probably about 12 months to get right, year and a half, I reckon, year, year and a half. So it'd been on the back burner and I remember at that point as well, my styling career was really hitting its strides. Like there wasn't a job I wasn't working on, there wasn't a client that I was working with that didn't have multiple jobs on. So I was extremely busy, and I made the call not to uh, tell anybody that I was working on it. So it wasn't something that I teased, and I think that was probably more of a maybe a self belief on my part, and also I didn't want people to think I was losing focus on my sort of priorities for them. We went live on. October the 16th, 2019. And I remember that specifically because it was meant to be earlier. And then we had our final production samples, you know, hit the shore and they were all wrong and I panicked. And I'd had this launch party that we were planning that was going to be on the same night. And I was like, oh, my God, my life's over, my career's over. And, of course, it wasn't. But it wasn't like a styling job where I could just call in another dress. It was like conversations needed to be had and I had to rely on other people and I think that was the thing I first learnt, right, when you talk about what the differences are, not having complete control. Because from a styling perspective, even when there's stuff going on at the back, I can hide it to the client and just make it look like this is what was always meant to happen. But in this process, I was like, wow, my God, I've got to rely on containers arriving and then people in the in the factories not stuffing it up. And so there was all of these things. And um, But when we went live, uh, I had this huge event at High Ground in Melbourne. And I pretty much invited every person that I'd ever sort of worked with. And I did that, I think, because I was scared. I was petrified. I was like, you know what? At least when this goes live, I'm not sitting watching the computer. I'll be off dancing with my friends and hoping for the best. But fortunately, uh, my investment and uh, paid off because when we did go live, we were selling about two pairs of shoes a minute. So it was incredible, aw- awfully scary, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but then incredibly thrilling. Um, and then I think the only thing that changed was the next day realising, oh my gosh, there's all these customers and they want to have answers to questions I haven't even thought of. And so then that process was a completely different thing to learn. But you know what, it's that old saying that if somebody told you what it was like, you probably wouldn't have done it. But I can honestly say that I feel like my role now in my career and life is to, if there's anyone that's starting things up, to help and give them that advice. and. You know, I think the only way you learn is by making mistakes or learning things as they're happening. And I think when I think back to my styling career at the start, it was that whole process of fake it till you make it. You know, like I look back and I wouldn't encourage anyone to go right to the bottom of my Instagram, but there were lots of things there where it was like, oh, what was I thinking there? But at the same time, it was relevant at that time, right? And I think one of the things that I had to sort of have the courage to do when having my own brand was, When, you know, when I was styling, I learned very quickly that I was a conduit between a brand and a customer, showing them how to put something together, inspire them to perhaps know about a certain brand if they didn't, or if they were going to buy that dress, this is how you can put it together. And so I just had to take, you know, a bet on myself and go, you know what, it can be exactly the same thing. And for me, I always thought, well, this makes sense because I can then still do all the work that I'm doing and pair my shoes with the outfits that I'm creating when I'm styling. So, you know, it's filled it's my cup up in ways I never would have imagined. And it's presented challenges I never thought possible. Um, obviously, four months after we launched, you know, the pandemic hit and that presented a whole bunch of new challenges. But I can honestly say that as a brand and a business and as a person, it, it's all changed me for the better and challenged me in ways that I hopefully only make me better for the future.
0: Ethan, you speaking about like the manufacturing process sounds so scary and so intense to me. Like at least with styling and PR, they kind of go hand in hand but creating a label is a whole nother ball game.
1: I think it's more just being hands-on, like wearing all the hats, you know, like you're sort of the, even though you've got an accountant, you're the one who's hiring staff, you're the person that's got to get the right culture fit within the business You've got to make sure that you're staying on top of trends and the things that are working, the things that aren't. And like I said, often, you know, sometimes you think, oh, that's going to look great. And then you get the sample and you're like, oh, you yeah, know, we're not going to go ahead with that. That's that's That was much better in my head than it is in real life. And then there's the other side of it too, you know, and I think they're the things, that's the tool side of stuff. So the actual product, but then not unlike when you're styling. And I think some of the things that I was good at at the beginning are, uh, was probably marketing myself because that was my background right that's what i knew what to do but then it's about creating well, what does your brand stand for and you know for me i you know and i think during the pandemic we saw this that fashion was kind of prior to that seen as quite frivolous right whereas when we're all rocking around in activewear for so long you you really realize that your fashion is a way of however which way you dress is part of your identity and shows who you are and I think when we didn't have that for so long, for me, the shoes were very much about being able to walk tall and feel good. And, you know, and one of the reasons I think shoes for me always seemed like the right fit was because they always fit. You know, as as a mother of two girls, I can assure you, um, after having both of them, the clothes that I was wearing didn't necessarily fit and didn't always make me feel good. But when I put my shoes on, I always felt like myself. So I think, you know, whenever I think about what the brand stands for and what my role is in that, is that you then need to, I guess, live and breathe that vision and that sort of um I guess mantra. You know, I wanna be somebody where women feel like they can relate to me and and the brand and that the brand speaks to, you know, we're very much the occasion brand. You know, when you put your wedding, your engagements, your major birthdays, your big summer events or your winter events, like where you go to for that, you know, and I think really sort of staying in that lane has been something that I feel really proud um we we're able to achieve uh, during the pandemic, I had lots of people saying, oh, Lance, what should you do? You should do sneakers. And I was like, "Nah, I, I want to wear Yeezys. I don't want to, you know what I mean? That's not my lane. That's not, my, not what my brand identity is. And and people know that about me. I'm the girl that gets dressed up. And, you know, fortunately, we were a brand that very fortunately and, and through hard work and, and sticking to what we do best, thrived in that time. And I'm very grateful for that for that period of time, and that our customers um, and new people that were able to discover us purchased. And so now, as we step into this new sort of way and season of things, um, how we just keep building on that and really build a community of people and of women, men, and, and everything in between uh, that that feel confident in what they're doing. That's what the brand's about.
0: And speaking of the pandemic, we are about to go into what seems like the first event season back to normal how important are those events such as Melbourne Fashion Week and spring racing for the local design community and the fashion industry do you
1: know what they are extremely important I'm so excited I can't wait to attend Melbourne Fashion Week especially because you know again I'm so lucky because of all these different hats that I wear that I get to work with some incredible Melbourne designers as well as Sydney as well, but the showcase at Melbourne Fashion Week. And it's so important. It drives sales. There's no question. It keeps people in jobs. It um, gets consumers excited about getting dressed up because they're, the inspiration is created for them, you know. Like I can't tell you how many people I get texting me on or DMing me on Instagram I know, I don't know what's on trend. Can you tell me what do I need to buy? What are my key essentials? Because I feel like we haven't had this time for quite a while, you know. And so I think to be able to do this back in Melbourne, have people visiting, not only just going to the shows or attending some of the the, the races and things like that, it's also the hospitality venues around that and visiting you know, a lot of the great things our city has to offer. It's so, so important. You know, I know for my business, like, we always see a spike when it's this time of year because people are going out, they want to have their fashion footwear on. They want to be able to walk tall Um and if they've got events or they've got gatherings and I think... It's such an important time in Melbourne particularly and, you know, the this, this season being exciting and even, you know, on the weekend I was, at, I was at the Royal Melbourne Show, which is completely different. You're not wearing heels there, admittedly, but just seeing people back and seeing businesses back and they're thriving, you know, it's such an exciting time and I've been so lucky, particularly with Melbourne Fashion Week, a lot of my career um, highlights are there. You know, I've dressed the ambassadors when they've brought them over. I remember, you know, uh, Ashley Hart was was one um, uh, adult dut uh, who was literally named Supermodel of the Year that year by Vogue, and then I was working with her, and we got to do that together, Kate and Cole and myself. And amazing, like those kind of opportunities, they're 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 once in a lifetime kind of things, and that they happen in our city, and that we get to showcase the you know what designers have to offer on a world stage, and that's really where it goes now. Like I think sometimes we think oh, it's just local, but it's not because with social media now, you're able to reach multiple people across the world, global, really. And, you know, to to have those opportunities and for the brands to have that kind of exposure after such a challenging time is really exciting.
0: I love that you bring up social media because that's not something I would have necessarily thought about, that these events, even though they are so localised, they become broadcast on a global scale just through Instagram and TikTok. Absolutely.
1: I mean, for me, even personally in my career, you know, probably the thing I didn't mention when I talk about transitioning from being in a corporate role to styling and then styling your shoes was I have social media to thank for that. It was referring me in all different places. I was getting clients because they'd see work. That was it. Like I wasn't cold calling clients saying, I could work with you. I mean, that didn't happen until probably when I had management, which would have been about year eight of doing that. So social media plays such a huge role. I think as well being able to showcase what people um, are wearing or showcasing what the shows are online that then drive sales back to their online sites and people buying. And I think that's the thing particularly Melbourne Fashion Week has done very well. You know, we see it emulated now even in Sydney, which used to be a, a, quite a... Uh, you know, very much an industry event where you had to be an editor, a stylist in production, makeup, whatever, to be able to, to sit in the shows. You know, you had to be in magazines, whereas now it's been, you know, the gates have been wide open to consumers. So, and that's something that Melbourne's already been doing for quite some time. So I already feel like we're ahead of the game. We were already encouraging people to shop the runways. So... And I think as we go into this next phase, it's really exciting. And, you know, most importantly, we need to support our local brands, be it in Melbourne, in Sydney, Queensland, Perth, whatever, you know, we need to make sure that we're supporting the people that help give people jobs and drive inspiration for, you know, all of the events that we have.
0: I completely agree. For those listening along who are just thinking to themselves that, They want to grow up and be the future Lana Wilkinson. Where should they start? What advice would you give them?
1: First of all, I mean, there's so much room for anybody to be a Lana Wilkinson. That sounds so weird because for me, I was just somebody that just wanted to do it. I think you ought to love what you do. And if you love fashion, you can totally do this. Like I said earlier, I was told, it was like, can you really monetize this? Is this really going to be what your career is? And absolutely it can be. I think you ought to be willing to work hard, You know, sometimes there's a lot of no's before there's a yes, but you've just got to keep bashing down that door. It sounds a bit aggressive, bashing down the door, but, you know, nobody's coming to save you. Like if you want to do something, you've got to just do it. You've got to push yourself. I would say that you've got to definitely, you know, work on your relationships with people. um, And if you want to work with certain brands, nurture those brands, reach out, contact agencies, go meet with them. Make sure that you're showing a genuine interest in what they do. I think relationships is at the core of it, to be honest. I certainly wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't have networked or even came into the industry as I did with a bit of a network. But in saying that, that's not everybody's journey and I understand that. But, you know, put your hand up to assist people when when you can, you know, and just get your head around what it is that you want to do within the styling sort of side of things. Um, and I think it's also about sort of respecting the brands as well you know as I mentioned earlier I know you do need to look after things as if they were your own like if you show a brand that you respect their brand then they're going to want to work with you again if you sort of make commitments that if you're putting something on a talent for example that you're going to produce content for them make sure that you do it's just those little things do as you do what you say you're going to do and I think they're they're the things I think as far as you know motivating for yourself it's always about doing the things that you love and do the things that you feel connected to as well but I do think relationships is at the core no question if you're not good at building relationships then being a stylist is not a job for you if you also want to just be there for the glam bit you know I always say when I'm doing a wet carpet everybody wants to help you on the day but all the work's done then it's all the lead up to it you know and I know for example when I've had styling assistants in the past when they're there the next day to help me do the jewellery returns and help me get the clothes back to where they need to be, that when they're there that next day, I know that their heart's in it because it's also about seeing the job through from end to end. But I think that's like in any job, right? It's like if you're in an office, there are the administrative things that you think, oh, that bit's a bit of a punish, but the rest of it's so good that it makes it great. And I think if you have that mindset, you can totally be a stylist.
0: I think what you said about relationships is so important and it's so important for any career and More specifically speaking how would you recommend for a publicist listening to this show to build a relationship with a stylist such as yourself?
1: Well, first of all, it's keeping me abreast of what sort of brands that you're looking after at the moment, whether it be sending lookbooks, making sure that, I oh guess, I'm aware of the sorts of things you have. I think communication is probably the key. Like when I think about sort of barriers in where, where I've had where I'm working with publicists, it's more if I've reached out about something like I'm fine with no. If it's like that's not going to work for us or That's not on brand for us. Just come and say that. That's fine and I'll move on. I think as far as building that rapport, it's about probably again, I mean, obviously the lookbooks is one part of it, but taking meetings, catching up. I think that's really important. I think open feedback is a really good thing as well. And also setting the expectations of what you want and what, so that way it's it's really fair. I think it needs to be mutually beneficial in all circumstances. Like if you're reaching out to me as Kate and Cole and whether it be that you want something on a talent, well, what can I do to help facilitate that? And what do you need in return? I'm going to bet that you want some content out of it because there's no point if nobody knows about it, that's not going to work for anybody. So I think it's keeping the expectations really clear communication really clear so that it's mutually beneficial for me those are the things that make a a stylist a publicist relationship really strong when I think about you know some really close friends that I have now have been through literally just us going back and forth with jobs and also being supportive at at times where I might've had a bit of a nine one one or a triple zero of, oh my gosh, this hasn't arrived. You know, I remember once, this is probably a bit of a backward story, but I remember once doing this huge job for Nicole Warren, who who you might know is one of the original bloggers. And I was working with Melbourne Racing Club and it was this huge, huge production. I remember them saying, oh, there's only gonna be three or four looks. That was the original brief. And then I'd spoken to the publicist just to double check a few things. And they said, oh no, it's like 17 looks. And I had like 24 hours to turn Around and I remember ringing a PR agency in Sydney, and I had a girlfriend of mine who was flying down, and I rang because they had they had a gamut of brands, so I knew I could kill a few birds with with one stone, and then get do the Melbourne side myself. But I that. Public, I'll be forever indebted to because I rang going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. But you know what? I'd always done the right thing by her, and she was that great. And just poured it all into <laughs> into a suitcase that my colleague and friend brought back down with her to Melbourne, and were able to fill the job and did, did so with flying colours. But when you have those relationships, when you need a favour, you can call it in. So I think they're the things like just be good to people. It's the same when you're in an office, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. That's probably the thing for me that. It's helped put me where I am and wherever that may be in some people's eyes. But for me, it's like I've always tried to do the right thing and I think when you do that, um, things can happen because it ends up being great for that brand, that PR agency. They're able to say, look what we're able to achieve. So it works both ways. So I think res- mutual respect
0: is a really big thing. Treat people how you want to be treated is absolutely applicable for any type of job or anyone, anyone out there listening. So I think that is a great place for us to start to wind down the interview and I have five final quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? I am. Go. I'm ready to go. Coffee or tea and how do you take it? Coffee and I'll have an almond cap. Almond cappuccino is
1: my my go-to.
0: Emails or phone calls?
1: Much to everyone's disrespect at times. Phone calls, love a chat, but you would already know that after today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is your screen time? Oh, I'd hate to think. I may
1: have been told at times it's like eight hours, but I often say sometimes it's different. Sometimes I look at that and no I go, but I'm also needing to run, even though I've got my team running the images, I answer all the queries on by Lana Wilkinson. So it's always kind of on. So between Lana Wilkinson and me, the person, it's a lot of time on social between all the channels. So, but that's when it's really busy. That's when it's really, really busy.
0: (laughs) That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, What is your most used app? Or Instagram, but moving to TikTok. (laughs) TikTok is a time warp. That's scary. (laughs) That's
1: it. I could just be on there forever. I was like, oh my gosh, I could just, and there's just all this discovery, right? Between the two, I'm like, wow, I've, I've got to remember I've got to be a parent somewhere in here and a
0: boss. So, And my final question for you, what is your typical day in media consumption? I wake up in the morning, I check my email,
1: I check my Instagram, I check my TikTok and then to To be honest, after that, it's just ongoing. Then I'm checking my website and then I'm checking the sales. Um, And actually, I probably should have put checking the sales as the first thing in the morning, (laughs) Um, making sure what do we do overnight. So, and then that's probably all day, every day after that. Interestingly, when I think back, even when, you know, I talked about the start of my career, Like Facebook's not something I really check now unless it's for our, our ads that we're doing, making sure they're all working. But no, the rest, it's just, it's just a minefield really. But, um, I think it's a way of keeping us all connected. And, you know, I certainly, like I said earlier, you know, I think sometimes social media gets a bit of a bad rap, but I think, you know, more often than not, it's, it's, they're great tools. And I feel grateful every day that we have these ways of connecting with people. Um, You know, for all, for some of the bad things that can occur, it also, you know, enables me to interact with our customer base and and any of the people that are interested in what I'm doing. So I think it, it all it all evens out. It's just all about balance and I am getting a little bit better. That notification thing of an evening is a really good tool that I've been trying to start to use. So hopefully next time we chat, I can balance that out a little bit.
0: No worries at all. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a privilege and um, I look forward to seeing you all soon.
0: Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate and Co. PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app and please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co. PR.